Hey, good morning. Great to see you guys. So like Amanda said, my name's Jordan, and these are the amazing Rhoda Bushes. I feel like that should just always be, that's like your new title, the amazing Rhoda Bushes. And there should be a comic book too, maybe. Oh. There you go. That is perfect. Awesome. I wasn't sure who you were talking about for a minute. <laughs> uh, so anyway, um, so we're bringing the Rotobush, the amazing Rotobushes up here to talk to us about right. prophetic art. Um, they've been uh, part of the Vineyard Northwest family for over two decades, which is pretty amazing. And they're also the leaders of the prophetic art ministry. And so if you've ever been in this uh, north hallway down here, I think that's north. Is that right, Van? The north, the north hallway right out, uh, behind this wall here, uh, we always have a, an art display, but that's not just a normal art display, it's a display, it's a prophetic art display, and um, these two right here are in charge of making that happen uh, for, the, for our body here, so um, I'd love to hear, just to start off, what is, uh, what's the theme for this season's display? The current display which we just put up in the last week or two. The theme for that is gifts from heaven. Um, one way, just so everybody knows, one way that you can always find out what the theme is for the current display is right outside this door um, at this end of the prophetic hallway there is a monitor on the wall, and that monitor has four um, images on it that are in constant rotation. The first one will be the theme or the title for the current display, and the other three are individual scriptures that go with that. So just by looking at that monitor, you can always tell what the theme is, and then you have some other scriptures um, to support that, and that can help to give you a sense of, okay, what's this particular display about? That those four things are also, that's, the starting point for all the artwork in that display. Because what we do is well in advance of starting the art material, starting the creation of the artwork for that display, we send those four things to the individual artist, and that way they know what the upcoming display is gonna be, and then they take that information, pray into it, interact with Holy Spirit, and that's what is the starting point for all the artwork in that display. So cool, so how do you guys come to that theme before it gets even sent to the artist? Pray. Uh, wow. <laughs> um, yeah, Great we, answer. <laughs> we, yeah, it, it's like, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say? And we, before we send that email, that's what we're doing is just saying, okay, Lord, what what do you want to what do you want to say and the closer it gets to time to send that email the more intense the prayer becomes <laughs> like come on father we've got a deadline here <laughs> it's like <laughs> did you want to say anything about that okay now a lot of times we'll walk in the neighborhood take our dog out for a walk and um that seems to be a time when we get a lot of 
the words or the leading or a scripture or something where we get a sense of what to center the theme on. And the theme is a departure point. Yeah. So um, when the prophetic artists, these are all people who have been through the school of prophetic ministry. They have deep relationships with the Lord, and we trust them to hear God's heart. So although we have a theme, sometimes the work that they create is um, something that God spoke to them directly that may or may not relate precisely to the theme, but it is a departure point for them to use if they want. Okay. And it's cool. just re it's really important that even if that departs from the theme, we want to hear what Holy Spirit's saying. And that's the most important. Yeah, that's so good. Just a couple of things that really stood out to me while you guys were talking. One, I just love how like kind of natural and normal it, it like you just go for a walk with your dog and God's, you know, it's not like let's light 30 candles and have like the Psalms open or it, but it, it, it's just, it's just naturally supernatural. Like God yeah, just very much so. wants, like he's a, a relational father that is walking with you. I, and I, I, that's so beautiful. And uh, the, from us talking earlier, something that really like hit me is I, I love that, you know, we have this kind of jumping off point, the, the theme that you, um, that you send out to all the artists but you don't assign people their different, you know, topics or, or subject, but it, it's amazing how, like, there are almost, like, sub-themes that start to arise from all of it and how, like, God is kind of speaking individually to everybody, even though nobody knows what everybody else is working on until kind of due date, right? Yeah, we, we don't see the artwork typically until we come up here to hang it. Um, and it, it's very much that, Jordan, because Holy Spirit is having separate conversations with each one of us. And it's the same way with the individual artist. It's like, here, we give this these four things to them, but they take it and they have a conversation with Holy Spirit about what do you want to say. Yeah, that is amazing. And, and even how we've seen you guys are doing that and then, you know, we're planning events and things and sermon series and sometimes it's like, well, we didn't even talk to the prophetic art ministry, but this theme is exactly what we're talking about. As a, so it, it's, it's super, super cool and powerful how God works that way. Yeah, so, because one half of all of those conversations is Holy Spirit. So and there's a consistency. Yeah. It's almost like Holy Spirit knows in advance what's going to happen. Right. <laughs> Crazy. What? God knows what's going on? That, that is amazing. How's that? that? That is so cool. Okay, so next question for you guys. Uh, for uh, all of us, like, listening and, you know, how do we participate with this hallway? Like, what's... do you? How do we just, you know, walk down it and see what stand, or what do you, how would you advise us to, to participate with the art? Well, um, I think just so you know, we, we think of the prophetic art as prophecy first. Um, the art is the vehicle in the same way God can speak to us through music or many other means. So, um, that's kind of where we begin. It's this, this is God speaking to our hearts. So um, you may or may not respond aesthetically to a piece, but the priority is that if God has something he wants to say to you through the piece, then um, you give him that opportunity to talk to you because who doesn't want to hear from him, right? So... Um, we just think it, it's a good idea. Well, if you, right now, if you imagine yourself walking through the prophetic heart hallway, um, just start by looking at, glancing at the hallway, looking at the work, and see if anything is highlighted to you. If something stands out, if there's like, for some reason, I feel drawn to look at that piece now, or, or I feel drawn to just, 
I feel drawn to just walk up and down and take everything in and see if something stands out to me. So that's a good place to just say, you know, Lord, is there something you want to show me? Um, and then when you see a specific piece that does stand out, ask Holy Spirit what he wants to say to you and, and just take a moment and listen. And you can, you can speed through the process. You can go at different paces. Most of the displays are up for three or four months. So if you just see one piece at a time, that's okay. There's plenty of time to look and see what's there and what he has to say because, as you know, he may want to say different things on different days to you. And then if you feel like he's saying something specific to you, you might want to record it. doesn't hurt to write that down. That might be something that you take back to your prayer time with him and because he may have a lot more to say and that piece, whatever it was that he was starting to speak to you through may be a jumping off point for something else in your life. Um, and if you find yourself feeling a strong emotion, uh, it's an opportunity to start a deeper dialogue with him because he may bring fresh insight or healing through that experience. So um, if that does happen, just give yourself time to process those things with him. And um, then, you know, if you've done that with one piece or two pieces, just, you know, as you have a, an opportunity, go back and see if there's anything else that um, he wants to show you and repeat the process. That's so good. And so this, this hallway is an opportunity for all of us to hear from God, maybe in a different way. We all might hear different things from the same piece, but it's, it's a, a vehicle for the Father to speak to us, right? Yeah, and there's a title card and a short description or scripture with each piece. And if you want, you could look at that to see, well, what was the artist thinking or hearing or saying? But... Um, it's absolutely right. God can say something very different to you than he would to me through the same piece. So um, the title card isn't the only message that's attached to that. That's just a place to start. And it goes back to what we were saying earlier about how Holy Spirit is having con different conversations with each one of us. So Susan and I may be standing there looking at the same piece of art and Holy Spirit may be having different conversations with us and it may be completely different, but he's speaking to us. That's so good. And, and one thing, just like from a pastoral perspective, as, as I'm hearing you guys talk, this is a, an amazing opportunity for us to practice one of the foundational principles of following Jesus, which is hearing what God's saying to us and then doing something about it. And so this just gives us another one of those vehicles for like, well, I'm not sure how to hear God. Well, this is a great way to practice and go, go see how God might be speaking to you through this different way. So that, that is, that's amazing. Last question, then we'll get out of here so Van can come up. Um, for any artists who are in the room, what, what's like a, a way for them to kind of maybe get involved or, or learn more, participate um, if, if something's kind of piquing their interest? Well, as... Um I think I mentioned, I don't know if I did, but all of the artists who have been displaying work have been through School of Prophetic Ministry. So if you have been through School of Prophetic Ministry and you'd like to participate as an artist, by all means, come and see us. We'd love to talk to you and get a sense of um, if, if that would be a good fit for you. We also, whether or not you've been through School of Prophetic Ministry, we have open... Um, prophetic Art Open Studios four times a year. The next one's coming up the 11th of November, and those are always from 10 to noon on a Saturday. And that's a place where anybody can come. They can bring their own materials and join with other prophetic artists and just be in an environment where we invite the Holy Spirit's presence and we work um, on 
hearing from God and expressing what he's saying to us through our artwork. So that's a great place to kind of enter into community with people. And it's open to children seven and up. Um, if they're under 12, they need to be accompanied by an adult. We have some great kids who've come and done some wonderful things. And uh, we have a different group every time, but it's, it's always so exciting to see the different artists interact with one another about what God is doing and saying. It's awesome. Great. Well, thank you guys so much for all that you do here and uh, for, for continually just putting up amazing and, and beautiful artwork and leading that ministry. Uh, it's been a really powerful thing in my life, and I know that there are many people out here who, who have been impacted in the same way and many who will be impacted now. Um, so for those of you listening, if you haven't had a chance to check it out, um, this display will be up for the next two or three months, so you've got plenty of time, so we don't need all, you know, hundred-something of us to go cram into that hallway right at the end of the service, but um, make sure to, to take some time, five, ten, even longer minutes uh, on a Sunday or, or come in during the week and check out uh, the, the displays out there. Can we, can we thank the Rhoda Bushes? Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Uh, now I'm going to welcome up uh, Van to come and uh, uh, share the message with us this morning. So Van, come on, come on up. Are we moving these, Chris? Chris, are we moving these? Well, good morning. I hope you take advantage of that and spend some time out in the prophetic hallway and just open your heart up to the Lord and see what he wants to say to you through it. But um, what, a ter what terrible news we had this week. Uh, Hamas making an incursion into Israel, going across the border and just indiscriminately slaughtering men, women, children, and infants in barbaric ways. Um, my heart goes out to all who are grieving, and I'm sure, I hope yours does as well, uh, the loss of people that they loved, uh, whether in Israel or here in the United States or other places around the world. I just want to take a moment and pray right now. So if you, would you stand with me, reach out and take someone's hand. If, unless you're uh, worried about um, sickness, then don't, that's okay. But um, let's pray together, okay? Father God, you are Lord of heaven and earth, and Lord Jesus, you taught us to pray for the kingdom of God to come, and so we ask for that right now. We say, kingdom come, kingdom of God come, and continue, continue to make your advance, but come in, in a very special way into the Middle East right now. Uh, we pray for comfort for all those people in Israel and around the world who've lost family and friends. Uh, pour your grace and mercy out on them in abundance. And Lord Jesus, um, reveal yourself. Just reveal yourself to them. Lord, I pray that uh, this uh, conflict would not escalate, that it wouldn't become greater or bigger or broader or other nations would not uh, get involved in it. And we do pray in Jesus' name that the evil spirits, the principalities and powers in the spiritual realm that are behind all of this, creating chaos and pain and heartache, we pray that they would be muted, they would be stifled, and that their plans would fall into confusion, and that they would be able to have no more impact at, at, at this time, at least, in the Middle East. And Father, I, I, I pray for just all the normal people in the Gaza Strip who are uh, just, just regular people, not part of Hamas, but who are unfortunately going to pay a price for what Hamas did. I, I ask for comfort and for help for them and that you preserve innocent life, Lord. Uh, open their eyes to turn to you, Jesus. We, we ask that even for the terrorists, Lord. Open their eyes to see you. Meet them in dreams, as you often do in the Middle East. Meet them in dreams and convince them of their need to repent of their acts 
and not just in a sense of saying, well, okay, I see they were wrong, but repent and turn to Jesus for life and salvation and true, true life. Father, um, you can change. You can change terrorist hearts. We know that because you changed the Apostle Paul. So we ask you to do it there, Lord. And uh, Lord, for Jews and Muslims all across the Middle East and around the world, I ask for dreams and visions of you that Jesus, the man in white, you show up all the times in Muslims' dreams, show up in Jewish dreams as well. And may there be millions and millions of people that would abandon false religion and turn to the, the one true God, the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Let that happen, Lord, and give us peace in the Middle East. Let your kingdom come in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So today we're going to continue to look at Matthew 11. We're going to make our way through a couple more verses here. And I want to start by uh, referencing a movie. How many of you have seen the movie Braveheart? Have you seen Braveheart over the years? Yeah. Got its title from a guy named William Wallace because he was a man who had a brave heart. And by that, what I mean is he saw, he had insight into life that set him on a course that he was not going to ever abandon. He, he, had the, he had the resolute heart within him would not allow him to abandon the course that he was on based upon his understanding and, 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 and deeper understanding of life. And one of the truths about life is people who are just trying to survive normally end up in depression and pain and don't even live as long as they could. People who have something outside themselves to live for end up being healthier. Uh, obviously, if it's Jesus, they end up having a greater impact on the world than, than ever before. And so we're going to talk about a kingdom heart. And I want to say that another word that I considered using uh, was the resolute heart. Because a kingdom heart is resolute, but kingdom heart's a little broader, so I, w I went with that. But a resolute heart, um, we find that in Luke 9. Jesus, it says, when he was at the very north part of Israel in Galilee, he turned to come south to Jerusalem for the last time. And he knew that he was coming south in order to die on the cross. And it says this about him. It says, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. It, he was resolute in setting out for Jerusalem. It took, it took nerve and strength of heart to do that. The old translation, the King James says, he set his face like flint. And I, I always thought that was pretty interesting because you, you hear athletes today talk about a game face. You know, you put your game face on, which means we're going to go after this. This is all we're focused on right now. This is what we're going to do. And so this idea of being resolute is something that God calls us to as believers. And, and so what we've seen in John uh, or in Matthew 11 so far, uh, Jesus is just finished talking about John the Baptist. John sends a delegation to Jesus asking him, uh, are you really the Messiah? Jesus sends them back and says, just tell John what you see, that the blind see, the lame walk, uh, lepers are cleansed, and the poor have the gospel uh, preached, the good news preached to them. And, and so they go back, and then Jesus starts talking about John, and he says this. He said, uh, and this is an amazing head-turning head, um, uh, head type of thought here, but he says, among those born of women, there's no one greater than John the Baptist. This was what he said in verse 11. Among those born of women, there was no one greater than John the Baptist. And then he goes on to say this, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. Now, why, the reason he's saying that is that John lived under the Old Covenant. He was an Old Testament prophet. He had the Holy Spirit resting on him, anointing him, empowering him, leading him, speaking to him in order to fulfill his ministry. That's why he was able to be so resolute. But he was nevertheless, as Jesus puts it here, born of, only of women. And Jesus told uh, Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that you have to be born of 
water, born of flesh, born from a woman, and born of the Spirit in order to see the kingdom of God. And so the one who is actually in the kingdom of heaven, which came with Jesus and, and had an open door invitation to all on the day of Pentecost, the kingdom, the ones that come into the kingdom have been not just anointed with the spirit on the outside, which is wonderful, we have that, but there's also something that happens on the inside. The heart is changed. They are born again, we receive new hearts. And so it's in that respect that the least in the kingdom is greater than John. Not greater than John in importance or significance or value to God or anything like that, but greater than John in the sense of potential because the Holy Spirit is in us and we have a position that John looked ahead to that he prophesied about and that he even longed for, but he didn't get to experience. And so the very next thing Jesus says is this, and this is in verse 12, and we're going to focus most of our attention on verse 12 today. He said this, he said in, uh, in Matthew 11, we're going to read 12 through 14. He said, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subject to violence and violent people have been raiding it. Let me stop right there and say this is the current New International Version translation, New American Standard, ESV. They take, uh, they, they take a very similar approach to this verse. I think it's wrong. I think it's a very poor translation, and I'm going to show you why here in just a moment. But it goes on to say this. He says, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And so he's saying, okay, there's an era ending. We've come to the conclusion of an era here right up to John. And then he said this, um, then he says, and if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. The Old Testament prophesied that the great prophet Elijah would come before the Messiah came. Elijah was a man of power. He was, he was I mean, he, he, if you know the story of um, Mount Carmel and the priests of Baal, hundreds of priests of Baal, and Elijah goes and faces them and has this huge contest where God shows up in incredible power. That's the kind of person Elijah was. And he says, John the Baptist is not only just like Elijah, but he said, if you can accept it, he is Elijah. And then he goes on to say, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Now, this, this verse 12 can be translated legitimately as it is translated on the screen right now. The, the Greek language will allow for that as a translation. But when I look at the context of this, this whole passage in this verse, I don't understand where they come up with this translation with a focus on persecution. Jesus has talked about persecution in chapter 10, and I think maybe in chapter 11 too, but especially in chapter 10, talked about persecution. But here, he says this, he says, from the days of John the Baptist until now. Well, what's been happening in the days of, from the days of John the Baptist until this moment? See, Jesus started his ministry during the days of John the Baptist. Their ministries overlapped. And so in the middle of John's ministry, Jesus comes, and what, what has Jesus done? What did he tell them to tell John? You know, go tell John what you see. Blind eyes are open. The lame walk. The demon eyes are freed. Healing, power, life. He says, go tell him that. And so since the days of John the Baptist, Jesus has been doing incredible works of power and this power sets the context for this statement. It's not the, it's not the kingdom coming under, uh, uh, coming under attack, but the kingdom acting in power since the days of John the Baptist. And so a better translation, and I even think that the Greek text actually leans this direction, was the translation of the NIV in 1975. You know, they, they come out with um, new versions of these translations every once in a while. And the 1975 version of this, this verse in the NIV says this, verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. And forceful people lay hold of it. And that's a much better translation, fits the context better. And I even have a better one than that that I'm going to share with you a little later. And guess who, whose translation that is? 
The Van Translation, that's right. <laughs> so he's comparing John to Elijah, powerful prophet, uh, the works of Jesus, and all of that. And it, forceful people, it, th that's almost, um, a, it, it's the same word. The, the one form is in a noun form. The other one is in a verbal form for the word forceful. And, but you don't have to necessarily translate them exactly the same because advancing forcefully it implies one thing. Being a forceful person gives us the notion, at least in English, of someone who is a little bit too pushy. And, or maybe they're, they're kind, you know, there's something a little bit wrong with them because they use force too much. And I think there's a better translation than that. In fact, this is where the word resolute fits in. And, and so forceful people in this context, you could define it and you could translate it as resolute. People who have been resolved in their heart, they're going forward. They're not turning around. They're not going back because God's called them to something greater than themselves. And so they, they have this resolute mentality that they're going for the cause, they're running the course, and they're not going to stop. Now, we're going to come back to that a little later. But for right now, let's just read through the rest of this passage. Verses 16 and 17, he uh, lays out a critique and a challenge of the current culture compared to the prophetic culture that he's just spoken of. And in these verses, he says, what can I compare, uh, what, to what can I compare this generation they're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others, we played the pipe for you and you didn't dance, we sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. And so he's saying this generation that he's speaking to, the generation alive in Israel at, at the time of Jesus, in contrast to the Old Testament prophets and in contrast to Jesus himself who was resolute, they treat the kingdom of God like little children. They, they, they're, they're, they're being childish in the way they're responding to it. And childishness really doesn't lead to anything good. They just don't get, they don't see the beauty. They treat it as something frivolous. They think they're being serious, but they're really not. And then he goes on and uh, actually um, expands on that in verse 18. And he says, uh, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And then he says, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. And so here he shows that when, when, when human beings, he's talking about adults, not children, but when they take a childish mentality about life, it, one of the results is judgmentalism. One of the results is critiquing and criticizing others in an unhealthy way. And so uh, Jesus says wisdom is uh, proved right by her deeds. These, these people he's speaking of, they say, well, John, John didn't drink, so John must have been demonized. Jesus drank, so he's a glutton and a drunkard. And they didn't recognize the contradiction in that. They criticized John for not drinking and Jesus for drinking. And so he says that this, this ability to see truth is spoiled by having a childish mindset towards truth. And then in verses 20 to 24, um, he talks about those who are willfully immature. And the willfully immature, verse 20, then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. He said, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Those are two uh, cities in Israel. And uh, two of the cities that Jesus did most of his miracles in. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, two pagan cities just outside Israel's borders, if they had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it would be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, the, the city that Jesus went back to as his new hometown, uh, his center of ministry, he says, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you'll go down to Hades. For the miracles that were performed in you, if they had been performed in Sodom, you know, he really ramps it up here because Tyre and Sidon were wicked. Sodom was actually obliterated by God for its wickedness. He says, 
If the same miracles performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have repented and remained to this day. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Now, the simple truth is this. When you reject the source of life, when you reject the one true God and the light that comes from the one true God, all that's left is darkness. That's all that's left. There's nothing else. And so he speaks this judgment against these cities that had rejected the one true light. And then he goes on and he says this. It, it, pretty heavy stuff right there. But now it kind of lightens up a little. Verses 25 and 26. He says, it says, at that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what was, was pleasing to you. So here, there's a difference between being, being childish and childlike. Childish is an adult who thinks immaturely. Childlike is an adult with a good heart, with, with an innocent heart, not filled with rancor and criticism and, and doubt and cynicism. And, and so he reveals himself to those who have hearts like that. And it takes that type of a heart to really gain spiritual wisdom and understanding. And he goes on then in verse 27, all things have committed, been committed to me by my father. No one knows the son except the father, and no one knows the father except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Now he says here, no one knows the Father or the Son unless there is revelation that happens. It takes revelation from God to know God, and it takes a humble, childlike heart to receive that revelation. See, anybody can receive it, but it takes a humble, childlike heart to be willing to receive this revelation of who God is and who Jesus actually is. It takes real humility. So let's jump back to verse 12 now. And uh, the, I, I gave you the translation of the NIV where they say, from the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful people lay hold of it. Now I want to show you the better translation I referred to a few moments ago. This, this is um, a very legitimate, uh, good translation of this verse that... that it, conveys not only the intent, but the actual language in, in the Greek text. It says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been relentlessly advancing, and the resolute lay hold of it. Okay, the kingdom of heaven is relentless. It is unstopping, and it is unstoppable. Reminds me of a good friend of mine named Bill Jackson, who's with the Lord now, uh, he had a course that he taught called Nothing's Gonna Stop It. Nothing's gonna stop it. Because the kingdom of heaven is advancing and it cannot be stopped. Even all the forces of hell cannot stop the kingdom of heaven from advancing. Do you know what that means? That means as a believer, you're on the winning team. Okay? You're on the winning side. All right? And to, hold, to grab hold of that thought, you are on the winning team. And the kingdom of God is relentless. Relentless, it, it, I, I like that word because uh, powerful can just be the effect of something. Relentless speaks more to the intent of it. And although I wouldn't like want to personify the kingdom of God, I, I would say this, the kingdom of God is the kingdom of God. And so it's his kingdom that's advancing. He's advancing it, and he's relentless. Nothing's going to stop him. He is not going to stop. No matter what happens, he's going to keep pushing the kingdom ahead. But it's so easy for us to see what's happening around the world, and especially this past week, and look at that and say, oh, my, the world's, the world's falling apart, going, going to hell in a handbasket. And where is God? Why isn't God working? But... What we need to recognize is when, when, we, um, when we see these types of things is that we're not seeing the full picture. Uh, Ulysses S. Grant was approaching a battle at one point, and one of his generals was coming from the front lines and 
Troops of men were following him. They were retreating. And he said, it's a massacre. This general told Grant, it's a massacre. We're losing. And Grant hustled to the front of the line. And he said, it was the opposite. He said, they were winning the battle. But he said, there were hundreds of men that were fleeing, saying, it's all lost. And Grant said this. He said, you can't tell how a battle's going from the rear of the battle. You have no idea. You have to be in the front lines in order to understand exactly what's happening. And so when we see things like this and we don't quite get it, just realize we're not seeing everything. And remember what's happening in China. There are more Christians in China today than in America. And there's also greater persecution in China than in America. And so you have both things at once. You have the persecution, but you have the gospel thriving and the kingdom advancing. You look at Iran. There's a revival happening in Iran, a country that we would look at as a, an enemy of our nation. But uh, the, the Jesus and the kingdom is advancing there. And there is tremendous persecution there as well. In Africa, there are places in Africa where the gospel is advancing. And we need to keep our thinking clear and recognize that when something like this happens last week, it really is the enemy kicking you know, kicking as making as much trouble as he can because ultimately his doom is sealed. You are on the winning side. Um, I was thinking of this. Remember when the Bengals won the AFC championship and went to the Super Bowl that year? How good it felt right up to the Super Bowl, the end of the Super Bowl. But <laughs> how good it felt. So that might not be the best illustration. <laughs> Just let me ask, are there any Steelers fans here today? No, no, no. I don't see any. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I can say that now because the Bengals are better than the Steelers, okay? When the Steelers were better than the Bengals, I never, I never teased about that. But to be on the winning team is an exciting thing. And to be confident of that is an exciting thing. And uh, our victory is guaranteed. Do you know, the God in Isaiah said this. The Lord said... Um, He's talking about Jesus coming. And he, and he says all these great things. He's going to be wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And then do you know what it says? It says this. It says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Now, there are a lot of prophetic words given that are offers. They're like conditional Here's this prophetic word, walk in obedience to me and you'll see it fulfilled. Well, you get, or believe it and you'll see it fulfilled. Here, it just says, uh, God says, okay, guys, I'm the one that's going to make this happen. It's not going to rest on you. I will make this happen. You're invited to be part of it. And that's why, we, that's why this says here, the kingdom of God is relentlessly advancing. And it's very interesting, that word relentless. The form of the word it's, it's in the middle voice, which the middle voice, like you have the active voice, which is, I did this, the passive voice, which is, this was done to me, and the middle voice, which places an emphasis and a, a unique connection of the action that's happening to the person or the, or the group, the thing doing the action, and so it would be like this. I could illustrate it this way. I could say, I'm going to the store right now. But if I have asked a few of you to go to the store and you haven't done it yet, I might just say, all right, I am going to go to the store myself and do this. Or it would be, I myself am going to the store. And so it, it, it creates this unique relationship between the action and the one performing the action, and even to this extent, it can, and in this case it does, vest the very, the very subject with the natural power to perform the act. Does that make sense? So what, so what we say this is, when we say the kingdom is relentlessly advancing, what we're saying is, it is in the very nature of the kingdom to relentlessly advance. Because God's the one doing it. And the kingdom can't do anything but advance. It's going to advance. 
I, I looked this up. One of the, the largest dog breed in the world can grow up to 230 pounds. It's a form of mastiff. Can you imagine taking a 230-pound dog for a walk? I mean, you're not going to have to do too much tugging unless he doesn't want to move. Then you can't move him. But as long as he wants to move, you're going to move. All right, when we receive this call to be part of the kingdom, it's like, it's like I'm, jumping, I'm jumping onto something that's already moving, and it's going to move. And I don't ha- I'm not responsible to move it. I'm responsible to be a part of it, but God's the one that says it's going to move. So it is relentless. It's going to keep on going. It's in the nature of the kingdom to advance. And then when it says the resolute lay hold of it, they take hold of it. It's a Greek word that, uh, I, I like the word, it's arpadzo. It just sounds like a cool word to me. You could name one of your kids that, arpadzo. <laughs> but um, it means to grab something and, and run with it. It means to pick something up, grab something. It could be, in certain contexts, refer to someone stealing something. Because you grab it and you run away. In this context, it's picking something up and moving forward with it. And it takes a resolute heart. Just like it takes a bold, resolute heart to pick up the leash of a giant mastiff and take it for a walk. You better be ready for that. It takes that type of heart to say, all right, I'm going to pick this thing up. And, and I'm going to run, I'm going to move forward with it. I remember in my freshman year of high school playing football, and on one play, the quarterback was uh, scrambling, running down the field. I was running to try to get in a position to, to make a block for him. And instead of him, he could have run behind me and let me make the block. Instead, he ran, and he turned, and he tossed the ball up in the air. And he blocked the defender. And I remember seeing that ball in the air, like right there, and just, just so cool, I still remember it, just plucking it out of the air and running it into the end zone. That was awesome. Yeah. Now, let me say, I was not a great athlete, okay? I was, I was average, I was average, but uh, I did catch a few touchdown passes in, in, in um, high school football. And I got to tell you, that moment when that ball was just kind of like tossing in the air like that, and all I had to do was reach out and grab it. That was different than a spiral coming your direction. It was just different somehow. I still picture it. I still remember it. And it was right there, and all I had to do was step into it, and then it was a wide open field. And so that's kind of what this is talking about when it says take hold of it. You know, another sports illustration could be a relay race and handing the baton off. You know, you grab that baton and run with it. Because there have been plenty of batons that have been dropped. Thank God previous generations had enough people that ran with the baton. And the baton comes to us now. And you and I are the ones that need to pick it up. And you have to see this. I want you to make sure you get this. We're going to do a series on our identity in Christ soon. You might think that you don't have a kingdom heart. You're not a resolute person. But you are. If you've accepted Jesus, he has given you a new heart, a kingdom heart. And a kingdom heart has the ability to be resolute. It's part of your nature. And so reject the lies from the enemy. You reject whatever you look at in your past and say, well, I failed at this, so I can't, you know, I'm no good for that. Reject that. You have the ability, you have the resolute nature within you to pick that baton up, to grab the ball, and then just go with it because we are on the winning team. You get to be part of that. We get to be part of that. And and I want to say batons, there are batons all over the place, lying on the ground. Maybe Jesus is walking up to you right now handing you one. Let's think of it like that. He's walking up to you right now, and he's offering you a baton. Yours might say on it children's ministry, or it might say youth, or teaching, or house group, or hospitality. Hospitality isn't just cooking. The people that greet at the doors, the ushers, they're gifted in hospitality. Maybe you're gifting, maybe you're called into a prayer ministry, or healing, or prophetic, or worship, or writing, or shepherding. Shepherding, you know, I'm not much of a shepherd, personally. I know you call me pastor, but that's not my primary gift. Some of you are gifted as shepherds. 
You're gifted as pastors. And that means you have a, a unique ability to remember what's happening in people's lives and a unique ability to identify with what's happening in their, in their lives and, and to let them know you remember them and, you, and to share compassion with them and to bless them and to help them and to care for them. But Jesus is handing batons out right now. And I just want to say, say yes to him. Say, yes, I'm going to do it. I'll take that baton. And then I want to say this. There's some that are still lying on the ground because they've been dropped. They still have anointing on them. That's fair game too. Okay? You can pick one of those up, but you have to decide to do it. Okay, would you stand with me? How many of you remember an old song called, called I Have Decided to Follow Jesus? Okay, you know, you know the, that last line is no turning back. Okay, let's sing that together, okay? It goes like this, I have these. I'll sing it first, okay? I've been waiting for this moment. Luke, pay attention. <clears throat> I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Okay, the second verse is the world behind me, the cross before me. But that phrase, no turning back, that's the resolute heart. So ready? The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. In the third verse, though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, Still I will follow, though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. The resolute heart says no turning back. Father, I pray that you would rise up within each one of us in this room. And to whatever degree we've already had that baton in our hands and we're running with it, just up the ante for us. Show, us. show us what you want, where the next steps are, what direction to take. And give us boldness, give us resolute hearts because we know we're on the winning team. And your kingdom is advancing and it's going to be relentlessly advancing every day of our lives until you return, Jesus, and culminate the whole thing. And we're looking forward to that too. So, Father, I pray for blessing, resolute, resolute, resolute hearts. I pray for uh, hearts that are just willing to say, I will take that baton. I will, Jesus. I will make the sacrifices. I will do whatever it takes to, to follow you and to be a part of your kingdom forging ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.